It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So I'm going through a series called Becoming Brave. And if you've missed the previous episodes, I would highly encourage you to go after those and to hear those. They lay a foundation for just a beautiful picture of what the Spirit of God builds inside of a believer for an hour of trial, for an hour of difficulty. And there isn't, I can't imagine any Christian not desiring this foundation in their life to be able to, and listen to the subtitle of this, to have stunning composure while staring at a world crisis. Because we are supposed to be the ones that exhibit Christ's attitude towards what is taking place. Psalm uh, 2 sort of gives us that picture. Uh, Even when the kings of the earth are taking their stand, there's a vast conspiracy against the Lord's anointed one, and the one enthroned in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. Well, shouldn't the saints of God bear the same attitude, the same thinking patterns? We have the mind of Christ. Why can't we, when the kings of this earth are taking their stand against the truth of Jesus Christ, when they're taking their stand against even the saints of God, why can't those that are clothed in the one enthroned in heaven, who are filled with the one enthroned in heaven, who are enabled and empowered by the one enthroned in heaven, why can't we laugh too? And so that's all part of what bravery is, a spiritual bravery. It's different than just earthly bravery, like a soldier may have going into battle. And it is something that is altogether otherworldly. And as a result, we can face the greatest challenges, the things that would cause every other human around us to melt. And we can actually gain strength in and through that and rise up when everyone sits. We can speak when everyone else goes silent. That we are not cowed by political correctness and social correctness of the age, but we can speak that which needs to be spoken because we do it out of a greater love for our Lord than a love for self-preservation in this earth. You see, we esteem these things, but that doesn't mean we just have them exercise in our souls. Many of us are actually afraid of going in this direction. It's like, Lord, you know, yes, I think that's a great version of Christianity, but do I really need to have it? And you see, we are built for a day of trial. We are built for a day of testing, but to be built, we need to allow ourselves to be built. You know, a house doesn't build itself on its own. It could have all the lumber there. It could have all the the, the tools and everything, even the plot of land. But that doesn't mean all of that converts into a home. Even the architectural design could be could be present, but there needs to be an exercise of agreement with that architectural design to take that lumber, to take those tools and to utilize them. And that's the process of discipleship in our lives. You see, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness, but not every one of us is utilizing those things that we've been given. And so there is an exercise aspect, an agreement, an obedience side of the faith that is imperative to grow up strong so that in the day of testing, we can prove to have the stuff of heaven. This uh, particular episode is called Getting Lion Eager. I love it. So the mental picture would be a lion fretting in his cage, you know, pacing back and forth, just desiring to leap from that cage. And in a sense, that is exactly what we want in our own souls. You see, we are designed to be ready to pounce on the circumstances in our life and claim them for Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity where Jesus could be revealed and we get excited about those things. It's just funny that the moments in which Christ are most revealed, when he's most revealed, when his glory is most made manifest, are actually not the moments we usually think 
he would be most manifest. It's in the trials, in the difficulties, in the greatest challenges. These are the moments. Could you imagine being like a lion in a cage and looking for challenge, looking for difficulty? You know, there's a whole sector of society that is always looking for downturns in markets and they're lo it's looking for uh, depressions in uh, economic systems. Why? Because they know that the best time to buy is when things are low. And it's just interesting that people could study how systems of this earth work and realize that. But most Christians don't recognize that in the kingdom of heaven, that the greatest time to gain wealth in the kingdom of heaven, to gain strength in the kingdom of heaven are in the times of great challenge. So I have it on the screen. It's called The Secret of the Successful. Immense treasure is buried in every downturn. Like I said, the financial analysts, analysts or the uh, great investors, you know, sort of the Warren Buffetts out there, they know this. There's great wealth gained in and through every downturn. That's when they're buying. They're going out and buying when everyone else is panicking and selling. And it's interesting because I'm not trying to teach you about how to be like Warren Buffett. Uh, I want to teach you how to live out the Christian life. And yet there's a similar truth that is woven in. It's just the, the way things work. When everyone else is selling, you're buying. The Christian anticipates challenges like a lion anticipates the opening of his cage. You see, we recognize that the greatest moments in our life are actually when we are being tried and tested. This is what we have grace for. And so as a result, we anticipate, we get excited because we know we are going to have the grace for this moment. We want to grow. And if you really want to grow, what do you need to do? You need to exercise. You need to take those weights and embrace them. If you go into the, the weight room and you complain about every weight, well, you'll try and pick up as few as you need to. You're not going to do the extra reps, but it's actually when you embrace the weight and you say, I want to make this weight work for me. That is actually the mentality of a believer that changes the world. And so when you ask God to help weights work for you, you know, you have that dumbbell and it could either sit on your foot and bruise it, or you could pick it up and do some curls with it. Make the weight work for you. This is one of the great secrets to success in the Christian life. You're going to have weights. You're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have tremendous challenges. But if you groan about those challenges, they're going to bruise your foot. But if you pick them up and exercise them, you will build strong your spiritual muscle. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Of course, most men love that scripture. We had a gathering of men up in the mountains, and I still remember we were all going through the Proverbs, and every guy sort of when they get to that one are just like, yeah, that's my special one. That's my, my proverb. It doesn't mean we are bold as a lion. We just esteem it, right? But it's interesting because the wicked flee when no one pursues. They're fearful. They're anxious. They, they have a, a voice of self-condemnation that's weighing over them, right? They know they're wicked. They know there's judgment looking for them. When you're a robber, you feel guilty, right? Have you ever had it where you're driving down the road and you see a cop over there and you immediately feel sort of guilty because you know that you probably are speeding even though you haven't even looked at the speedometer? Some of us put on our brakes even though we might not even be speeding. It's innate, right? And the wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous, those that know their position in Christ, those that know that Christ rules over their existence, those that know they are friends with the Most High God, those that know their seated position in heavenly places and that all things are beneath his feet, therefore you share in his authority. Those that know this are bold as a lion. How do they approach 
their difficulties. Imagine if you just applied this Proverb 28, Proverbs 28, 1, 2, difficulties, trials, tribulations, and challenges. The wicked flee. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You see, this is the attitude of the twice born. This is the attitude of the victor. This is the attitude of the brave. The darkest hour on earth is the greatest opportunity for the light. I remember having a discussion with a whole bunch of different missionaries, and we were talking about strategies for our day and age of how we can reach the world for Jesus. And it's interesting, but here's one of the key strategies we landed on, and many of them have actually utilized this in their life. And that is, technically, we should be looking for the tragedies, the difficulties, when the bottom is falling out on a culture. And whether it's a tsunami that hits, whether it's disease, because that is when the people of that culture become open to hearing a solution because their, their foundation is being proven to be faulty. And so as a result, if you're just looking at the world and you're ready, you're in a ready position, almost like the tickets are purchased, you're just waiting for something to happen. And then when you see that difficulty in the world, the Christian moves towards difficulty. Isn't that just an interesting statement? The Christian moves towards difficulty because that's where the harvest is. That's where the souls that are ripe are. They're in the midst of challenge. And so the same is true with your soul. And when you go through trial, guess what? You're that much closer to reaching out and finding a greater measure of grace. And so those earthly instabilities that we walk through in our life are great for drawing us closer to Jesus Christ. And if you were to look back on the history of your spiritual growth, you would recognize that your spiritual growth spikes in and through your difficulties. Now, some people, the enemy is also in difficulty and he wants to take that same difficulty and he wants to curdle your soul through it. And that depends on how you respond to it. That's like setting the dumbbell on your foot and getting a bruised foot. That's what the devil wants. He's like, oh, can you believe they gave you a weight? What are they thinking? They, he wants to bait you towards self-pity. And if he can bait you towards self-pity, towards grumbling, towards complaint, towards self-interest, he's got you. But if he has no voice in this and the Spirit of God says, rejoice, take advantage of that weight, make it work for you, there is great grace to be found in the darkest moments. The darkest moments are the greatest moments to shine the light. So, the screen, uh, the, the keynote slide that I have on the screen right now is the we are on the offensive mentality. Most Christians think of the church as being on the defensive. We're just trying to hide out. We're in our bomb shelter. We're trying to somehow escape the uh, you know incoming flood of persecution. When in actuality, we are the ones that are supposed to be on the offensive, not the defensive. Now, in every culture, this might look a little different because in every, you know, if you're in North Korea, what does offensive Christianity look like? It might not be street preaching. However, the Christian is always the one with the recognition that they have something the world needs. They recognize that they are the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. They recognize that they are the ones that serve the triumphant King of Kings who crushed the serpent's head, who rose again on the third day and who was seated on high with all things beneath his feet in the heavenly realms. This is the one we serve and the Christian knows it. So therefore they are on the offensive, not on the defensive. So I have as a sub point uh, to this, shaking off the defeated, despairing, despondent mentalities of the weakened church. If you could just imagine that, it's like it's sort of cr a crust upon us today, and we need to shake it off. We need to break up that crust that is upon us 
And we want to have the offensive mentality again, that this is God's territory. He purchased it. These are souls that he is after. Let's go get them. Matthew 16, 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that is a statement that has been twisted many times over uh, in, in the history of the church. However, it's still a fact, it's still a truth that is being spoken by Jesus Christ. Now, some people say it's being spoken only to Peter, right? And yet I would say it's just a truth. On this rock, well, you could say, what is the rock? The declaration of Jesus being the Christ? That could be. You know, some people say, well, the rock is Peter. Uh, and I would say the rock is always the word of God. And so let's make sure we go with that. The guy who trusts the word of God is a rock because he's built upon something. But on this rock, this fact, this truth, will I build my church? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's an interesting statement because gates are not mobile. That means that the church is the mobile element in the story. That means the church is going on the offensive to bust through the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Eh, that's the sort of Christian mindset we need again. Romans 8:31. These are just some of my favorites. I love to repeat these. I repeat them often. If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that's an offensive mindset. That is one that says, hey, let's take territory, not just try and survive. 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Well, if you knew that, then you would recognize, why would you be the cowardly one? Why would you be the one trying to make excuses for the church? Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Did we step on a toe? We are the ones with the truth. We are the ones that have the good news. Let's use it. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are facts. This is what we build our understanding as believers upon. God is victorious. He has been exalted to the highest place. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So when we start in our own life and we bow our knee, we are setting ourselves up to participate in what he desires to do. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Let's not forget that. How does a lion respond in the darkest hour? So since I'm using the lion illustration, it's sort of fun to, to use a a, a lion from World War II, uh, the Lion of Britain, uh, Lion of England, also known as Winston Churchill. Uh, and I, you know, I gave a 93-episode series on uh, spiritual lessons from World War II back in 2020, and I really enjoyed uh, Winston Churchill throughout that. So this is just one little story out of it that sort of fits what we're talking about. How does a lion respond in the darkest hour? So Winston Churchill is going to inherit a very nasty situation when he takes over the prime minister position in uh, 1940, uh, in the very beginnings of World War II. In fact, it's the same day that uh, Germany uh, and the Nazi regime are going to uh, pull out their, uh, their maneuver uh, through Holland and Belgium and invade France. And it's a very, very dark day in history. And guess who gets to become prime minister and take over the responsibility of a nation that is crumbling at the same exact time? 
Winston Churchill. So what does he do in the darkest hour? Does he get in his defensive position and hole up and hide? He attacks. And this is this is just quite the, the story. This is a private note written to General Ismay from Winston Churchill. It's, it's sort of fun in history when you study history that you can actually get private notes and you can look at things that would never have been exposed back in the day. But at this time when this is this is written, uh, the Germans are not just threatening to invade on land across the English Channel into the island of uh, Great Britain, but the, the German Luftwaffe, the air, their uh, air force, is bombing uh, the, the uh, London and, and the surrounding areas. And it's been just a miserable period of time. And the whole nation is on edge. The whole nation of Great Britain is terrorized, is anxious. And so in this situation of trauma, of world crisis, Winston Churchill is going to write this. If it is so easy for the Germans to invade us, in spite of sea power, some may feel inclined to ask the question, why should it be thought impossible for us to do anything of the same kind to them? The completely defensive habit of mind, which has ruined the French, must not be allowed to ruin all our initiative. How wonderful it would be if the Germans could be made to wonder where they were going to be struck next, instead of forcing us to try to wall in the island and roof it over. In an, eff an effort must be made to shake off the mental and moral prostration to the will an initiative of the enemy from which we suffer. He says, we're suffering from a mental and moral prostration to the Germans. What if we attacked them? What if we went on the offensive? Isn't that an amazing thought? Who would have that thought in a time like this? Well, someone like Winston Churchill. That's the lion's mentality. This is what I want us as the church to once again regain. We're not the cowardly ones right now. We're the confident ones. We serve the living God. So in the darkest hour, Churchill goes on the offensive. Now, this next slide is very, very telling with what I'm trying to say. In the darkest hour, God always goes on the offensive. You see, this is his moment. God loves difficult situations. He loves it when the odds are against him, those Red Sea moments. This is when God seems to do his best work. Isn't that an amazing statement? The Red Sea moment looks like a defensive issue. It's like, hey, can we run and hide? Can we, how can we get out of here? Instead, God is going to turn it into an offensive maneuver, and he is going to destroy the greatest military force in the world at that time, single-handedly. Wow. Okay, now that, that's good. That, that's impressive. This is the kingdom of heaven, and we are a part of it. As believers, this is our territory, and we need to be well-groomed in it. So I want us to think of a few men who went on the offensive in a very dark hour. Gideon is a great one. So think of Gideon. Gideon, uh, I mean, his nation is so plundered, so defeated, so weak, and there's really no hope. They're, they're so outnumbered. They, the the Israelites just don't even have weapons. They have no morale. They, they, they're just so fearful. And Gideon is going to go on the offensive against over 100,000 Midianites with 300 men. And God is going to give grace for that. And there's mighty triumph. When you go on the offensive, even though it, and for all practical purposes, that's a defensive situation, but you realize how God works in those darkest hours. He he. he brushes off the moral uh, prostration that is there. And he says, let's do it now. Think of David. Uh, all of Israel is under the thumb of Goliath. I mean, they're, they're trembling. 
And David is going to enter into the same situation and go on the offensive. The word in the Hebrew for what he is going to do is mahar. He is going to sprint. He is going to move with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey is the concept. Whoa. Uh, hey, David, that's, that's this behemoth gargantuan champion there. He's like covered with armor, his sword and shield. You don't have any of that. And you're a little boy. And you're going to sprint towards it? Yeah, and take it down. God responds to the Davidic movement, to the Gideon movement. This is something that God delights in. The question is, are we willing to have that same movement in our soul? Are we willing to rise up in this hour and pick a fight with a giant? Think of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah at a time when uh, it's not a real fun thing to be a king of Judah. And they are surrounded, and the uh, th the situation is is really bad. Okay, it's the it's there's three hostile empires that have come against little Judah, and really Jehoshaphat doesn't have much of a hope. In the natural, if we were betting people, we would say, no, Jehoshaphat's done. And yet Jehoshaphat believes in the power of his God, and Jehoshaphat is going to call a fast. And he's going to call the people of Israel together, or Judah, together in this situation. He's going to call them together. They're going to call a fast. And God is going to speak to them. And he's going to say, you don't need to fight in this battle. I'll fight for you. But you need to go out in the battle. This is the same for us. We need to have the same word spoken to us. Do we trust that God has won the victory? We don't need to win it. We just need to be obedient to utilize the victory, to make use of this weight that we have. And he is going to go out the next day to face these armies, these nations, and he's going to set his singers out in front. Why would he do that? Singers, they're not very good at fighting. It's because he already knows he has the victory. You see, that is something that I would like us to inherit. Do you know that our God has already won the victory? Do you know that your enemy is already defeated? Do you know that God is desirous for you to exercise the weights in your life. And when you do, that victory will come through you. You see, when we embrace the challenges and the difficulties, instead of spurn them and cow before them and complain about them and go into self-pity mode, God can work wonders in and through our life. This slide says the sprint of Germanicus. So we're going to go back uh, quite a few... Uh, hundred years, we're in like the 300 AD period, somewhere, somewhere in there. And so we have a character named Germanicus. And Germanicus, now part of this could be legend. I don't know, but I really like it. And so I'm going to share it as, I don't want to share it as legend. I want to share it as something to stir our souls. And that is that when Germanicus was fed to the wild beasts because of his faith in Christ, when he got into the arena, most people would go on the defensive and they would try and hide in a corner or you know, somehow uh, hide behind someone else. They're going to think of self-preservation. What does Germanicus do? He sprints. Big smile on his face and he sprints towards the wild beasts. <laughs> All right, whatever that is, guys, I want it in my soul. I want to sprint towards the difficulty and not cower before it. I want to pull a David in the Valley of Elah when I see the giant. My natural propensity and proclivity is cowardice just like it is yours. We are rather feeble folk, us Christians, and yet we serve an almighty God.
Let's remember that. Let's allow those truths to rekindle in our souls. This is our hour, O Christians. This is when the church is to rise up and prove the triumph of the cross. We have been given everything we need for this moment. Let's make sure that we use it, that we exercise it. So as I've been going through this series, I've been sort of building a list of 10. I'm at six as of today, and this is the 10 facts that make a believer brave. And they're all promises. Number one, God promises to make us inwardly doom-proof. God promises to give us a PhD in good news. Most people are studying bad news, and that's what they spend all their mental energies on. But God wants to teach us the good news and to give us an expert-level understanding in it. Number three, God promises to enable us to take any hit the enemy can dish out. God promises to make us spiritually unstoppable. God promises to make us above reproach. And today's God promises to put us on the offensive in this battle. Oh, Lord, do that in us. Let me just pray for us as we're closing today. Father, we need more than what we have. We know that it's supplied, but we need to exercise what we have. And Lord, I pray that there would be a movement in our souls to respond, to respond to the obvious next step in front of us, whatever that be. Spirit of God, outline for us your exercise plan for us. Lord, what is it? Are the challenges in our life, are we embracing them? Are we rejoicing over them? Are we taking advantage of them? Lord, I pray that you would build us for the hour in which we live and that you would shine in and through our lives. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.